The first reading this morning is taken from Nehemiah, um, which you'll find on page 484. Nehemiah, starting at the beginning of verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. <clears throat> in the month of Kislev, <coughs> in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, 
How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Azaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading can be found on page 1003. So the reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth this morning and the thoughts of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. I wonder what the most interesting job you've ever done is. What do you think that is? Take a moment to ask somebody near you what they do for a living or maybe what they've done in the past. I'll explain why in a minute. Just chat with somebody next to you. What is it that you do? Well, I hope you've learned something about the person sitting near to you. I just love your faces if I ask a question. There's this like puzzled frown. What is she talking about now? (laughs) We're a diverse bunch, aren't we? And yet God invites us all to be available to him during our working hours as well as between 
10 o'clock and 12 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Would you believe it? We're going to explore that thought a little bit today. This morning, we continue with our adventure with God as we think a little bit more about prayer. The first week in our series, we were inspired by Abraham, who shared conversation with God. He was bold and persistent, and he sought as he prayed to understand more of God's heart for humankind. And we saw that talking to God changed his perspective. He was, of course, a great leader of God's people. Last week with Sue, we spent some time with Moses. And I was particularly caught up, I don't know about you, but I was caught up with the notion that we must not put God in a box, even a gilded one. Letting God be God allows him so much more space in our lives to achieve great things. Moses was born into a persecuted minority people. He was adopted and then educated in the royal household. He blotted his copybook rather badly and he became a fugitive, then a hired shepherd, before he too, rather hesitantly, followed God's call into leadership. Today, we're seeing what we can learn from Nehemiah. I'm greedy to know how these men prayed that kept them walking so closely with God through thick and through thin, through good times and through bad times. Aren't you? They all certainly had their ups and downs in life. So, what do we know? of Nehemiah. Well, we know that he lived in Babylon around 446 years before Jesus, around the same time as Queen Esther and the scholar and teacher Ezra, whose stories are also in the Bible. So we get great different perspectives on the same era by reading them side by side, which I find interesting. The people of Israel were still in exile although a few had been returned to Jerusalem, because in that season, the Persian Empire was quite religiously tolerant, and they didn't mind the idea of the Jews restoring Jerusalem a bit, provided they remembered who was boss, of course. Nehemiah was a sort of top civil servant, some might even say prime minister, and he worked for the Persian king, Artaxerxes, as cupbearer, part of his duties would be to protect the king from assassination by tasting his food and drink before him. Poisoning your enemies seemed to be a common way of getting rid of them, so this was an important role. As a result of his position, we can assume that Nehemiah would have enjoyed a rather comfortable standard of living. He would be constantly in the company of the king, and so materially, I dare say he did very well. No king wants to be surrounded at home by grubby, tatty people that trouble their peace of mind. So he would have been well-dressed and well-fed. And I'm sure he had excellent education, manners and etiquette as is suited to the royal court. As a trusted member of the royal household, he would have had personal security and the confidence 
of people in the nation who had real power. I expect he had a very good personal network. Most importantly, although a servant, the king needed him, so he would have spent a lot of time in the king's company. Perhaps you've been watching the series Victoria on Sunday evenings. That reminds us that for ordinary people, working in the royal household certainly has its perks. The book of Nehemiah in the Bible is, we're told, effectively his journal, his personal reflections on what unfolds in his life during that season. It's also a personal reflection on the life of his people. I found it really helpful when I was preparing my sermon to look at other translations. And if you have at home the message um, or the word on the street, it really opens up the whole story for you. And I do encourage you, before you go to home group on Tuesday, have a glance at the message and see if that brings it to life. Anyway, as our reading begins into this comfortable, privileged life, comes news that troubles and distresses Nehemiah. It's an experience common to us all, I think. One minute you're happily getting on with life, and then out of the blue something crops up that really takes the rug from under your feet for a while. On a personal level, Nehemiah has much to be grateful for, but he hears news that his family in Jerusalem is in trouble. We're distanced by time and culture from Nehemiah, certainly, but it's not hard to empathize with that feeling. When you live at some distance from your friends and relations, it's heartbreaking to hear bad news and not to be there to help or offer support. To hear of ill health or calamity of some sort or other befalling befalling those we love can be deeply distressing. Nehemiah hears that his precious hometown, Jerusalem, lies in ruins and vulnerable to attack, and the people living there are living in terrible conditions. We might imagine a refugee from Aleppo in Syria would feel much the same when they hear the news these days. Nehemiah takes it straight to God. Let's see what we can learn from his anguished prayers, which are recorded in the book. Well, I think he models for us three things. In prayer, we must be real. In prayer, we must be respectful. And in prayer, we must be ready. Be real, be respectful, but be ready. His first response is to express his grief to his heavenly father. He doesn't hide it or pretend that the situation is other than it is. He is deeply distressed. In fact, so much so that some translations say he's off his food. Others say he chooses to fast. We know what that feels like, to be so upset. And in his tears and anguish, he takes his sadness directly to God. Sometimes our pain is deep and words are inadequate. 
It's okay to take our tears to God. It's not a failure in our faith to be honest with God in that way. God, our Heavenly Father, knows us and he loves us and he wants us to bring our cares to him. It's often only when our cares are too burdensome, too heavy to carry alone, that in fact we do turn to him for help. In a beautiful, worshipful prayer, Nehemiah acknowledges God's true place in the scheme of things. Rather than simply ranting about how unfair the situation is, which may well be true, Nehemiah takes a surprisingly alternative approach. Lifting his eyes for a moment away from his own troubles, he declares God's sovereignty and acknowledges his power over heaven and earth. In our prayers, this is always a good place to start. This is self-discipline in action. He admits how he's feeling, but he knows to whom his respect is due. He is real, but he's also respectful. He reminds God of his promises to those who love him. I wonder if we are aware of the promises that God makes to his people, to you and to me. There are, in fact, thousands of them in the Bible. Do you, like Nehemiah, have a heart that is lined with God's truth? When adversity strikes, it's good to be supported by having a heart full of God's truth, his word to his people. When I was a child, in the church I attended, there was a lovely lady who, in her middle years, through illness, had become completely blind. In spite of all, she was a beautiful, radiant Christian person who could recite scripture from memory. It had been her tradition to learn precious passages of the Bible by heart. What treasure and encouragement that was to her when adversity struck and she could no longer read as she used to. But the word of God lined her heart. It dwelt within her and it shaped her. This is the fruit of reading the Bible daily making what it says part of your response to life, weaving it into the fabric of your thinking. It takes time and conscious effort to do that. But what a wonderful reward to have a mind so filled with truth that it becomes part of us. These promises that so encourage the believer are, however, conditional on our obedience when we spend time in God's presence, we're often aware how imperfectly we keep this agreement with God. This is why we include an opportunity for confession in our service of worship. There are many ways in which we fall short. And as he worships his heavenly father, Nehemiah confesses his own sin and also owns responsibility of his people and their failure to keep their end of the bargain with God. He falls back on God's promise 
to re-establish a repentant people and acknowledges that it's God and God alone who can redeem them. This season of honest, repentant, worshipful prayer focuses first on God. And Nehemiah dwells there for quite some time. Scholars tell us that the period from Kislev in chapter 1 through to Nisan at the start of chapter 2 extends for a full four months in our calendar. That's quite a long time to be grieving and yet worshipping God for who he is. In the 21st century, we're very instant people, aren't we? We want everything immediately. The less time we have to wait to get a thing, the better is the message that the media conveys. Whether it's shopping or banking or food or information, we want everything without delay. But that does not appear to be the way that God works. God is often to be found in the waiting. That might be a very challenging thought for some of us. In the Disney Pixar film Toy Story, there's an old man who lovingly and painstakingly restores Woody, he's the hero, to his former glory as a cowboy doll. If you haven't seen the film, it's an absolute classic. You should watch. But when hassled by the greedy baddie, the toy collector, he simply says, you can't rush art. And how true that is. You and I are a work of art, being formed into God's image. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession, made so that we can show others the goodness of God. We, who he called out of darkness into light. You can't rush art. God is forming us in his own image, and that takes time. As Nehemiah spends time in God's presence, bringing to him his deep-felt pain and concern, God shows him how to pray. His heart begins by crying out to God. How awful, perhaps he says. Then he cries, someone should do something. Before it finally occurs to him, maybe I should do something. St. Augustine of Hippo said, Prayer is not merely expressing our present desires. Its purpose is to exercise and train our desires so that we want what he is getting ready to give us. His gift is very great, and we are small vessels for receiving it. So prayer involves widening our hearts to God. What a delightful phrase to ponder for a minute. Widening our hearts to God. A jar 
with a wide neck is so much easier to fill than one with a narrow opening. If we are opening up our hearts to God, how much easier would it be for him to pour his Holy Spirit into us, to restore and to resource us? Widening our hearts to God. I wonder what that would look like for you and for me. I think it's a wonderful and liberating thought that God actually wants to meet me when I pray. It's not some sort of cosmic guessing game. In prayer, God really wants to communicate with me and move my heart to be in line with his. Nehemiah asked God to make him successful in asking a favour of the king. In prayer, he was real and he was respectful, but he was also ready to be partly the answer to his own prayer. He'd spent much time in prayer with God over this and courageously he was willing to be part of the answer himself. As soon as King Artaxerxes gives him the opportunity, he presents his request. Out of a working relationship built up over time, God gave him the opportunity to speak and the wisdom to speak in a way that Artaxerxes would understand. Persians, you see, also placed great store in their family history and they would relate to distress over the hometown's state of disrepair. It is interesting to note, however, that it still took great courage to act. Nehemiah relies totally on God for protection and success, for even one in his trusted position could lose his life for displeasing the king. Having so steeped this enterprise in prayer and drawn so close to God morning, noon and night over it for four months, he now only has time to shoot up a quick prayer and put forth a request that seems sensible solution. He asks for leave of absence from his cosy position as a civil servant to go and mastermind the rebuilding of his hometown. That's huge. He requests the permission of the king to go and become a building contractor to supervise the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. That's a fairly major step. A big career change. And this is why we began by talking about our jobs. It might be tempting to view some jobs as more holy than others. Vicars and church youth workers and missionaries and that sort of thing. But the example of Nehemiah shows us that in God's hands, any job can be devoted to serving him. The Bible tells us of shepherds and farmers, homemakers and military men, merchants and politicians, fishermen and teachers and doctors who devote their working lives to God. It is for this reason 
that at the beginning of every month we interview someone to find out what they'll be doing at 10 o'clock on Monday morning so that we can be better informed, to pray about the real issues in each other's lives, to invite the Holy Spirit to use us seven days a week, wherever we find ourselves, whatever it is we do with our time. God used Nehemiah's administrative skills to full effect. He's really rather shrewd. He had thought things through, and he had a strategy to hand when the king asked how he could help. He needed diplomatic papers, and he needed resources. The king could provide both of those. And because God blessed the request, he was happy to facilitate Nehemiah's plan. It was a courageous plan that required sacrifice and drastic change. But Nehemiah was ready. So, to conclude our thoughts on Nehemiah's prayer, I think Nehemiah shows us how to be real in prayer. Being honest about how we really feel about the circumstances we find ourselves in. He shows us that we ought to be respectful in prayer, beginning by giving God the glory he deserves as our sovereign Lord. But we also need to be ready, ready to be part of the answer to our own prayer. Nehemiah fasted earnestly, wanting God to change things. But ultimately, he had to be willing to be changed by God. In our service of Holy Communion, we celebrate week by week that in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, God has reconciled himself to us. We don't have to wait until we're good enough to serve and to deserve God's favour. Through his grace, we already have it. As we gather at the table in a moment, what is it? that you bring in your heart. Are you ready to be real with God? Will you be respectful and taking your eyes for a moment away from your own pain, accord God the glory due to his name? And are you, like Nehemiah, ready to be changed and be part of the answer to the cry of your own heart? Amen.